This episode of Ragcast Outdoors is brought to you by PK Lures, Bow Spider, and High Mountain Seasonings. Fish on! Hey, Radcast is on! Hunting, fishing, and everything in between. This is Radcast Outdoors. Here are David Merrill and Patrick Edwards. Well, hello and welcome to another episode of Radcast Outdoors. I'm Patrick Edwards. I'm David Merrill and we're in the great indoors today talking about the great outdoors. You, you caught me in a rare moment of home. <laughs> <laughs> David's been up in the mountains as some of you all know. How did it go? Brutal. Brutal is a tough year. Lots of grizzly bears. Uh, the moon was full all night and then it, we got some snow and it just cramped down. But we were in elk every day. So it was it was everything I wanted. Just uh, it was a it was very taxing and, and daunting elk hunt. But we're home now and we have meat for the freezer. So no complaints. Yeah. You can't complain when you have meat. Meat is a good thing. And so today we've got a special guest in the studio, a friend of mine for 32 years, um, Seth Ewing. Uh, welcome to the show, Seth. It's exciting to be here. <laughs> Seth came all the way, 14-hour drive from Idaho to come and talk to us uh, and hang out with me and catch lots of fish, which we did over the past few days. Let's, let's be honest, mostly that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we whacked some fish, and so it was a lot of fun. But yeah, Seth and I have been friends since we were five years old and uh seth is much more of the hiker adventurer guy than me and so i thought it would be fun to have him come on and talk about one of the coolest trips he's ever done and probably the most brutal trip he's ever done yeah i tried to i tried to pass it up this last summer as far as the brutal bit goes but it was very special for sure Absolutely. And so just, just to kind of get to know you, Seth, um, tell everybody, you know, where you're from and just a little bit about how you got into hiking. Yeah. So, um, grew up in Southern, Southeastern Wyoming and North Central Montana. And my, my dad was a Texas transplant. So grew up in the city, really, really longed to be in the mountains and it was hard to keep him out of the mountains really as a young, when he was a young man. So when he had kids, I think he started taking me fishing with him while I was still in diapers. He's got stories of me like eating raw brook trout in either hand while I'm on, (laughs) when I was in diapers. Um, So it's kind of in the blood, so to speak at that point. But he also, he loves getting to new, new grounds. So started taking me and my brothers and other, other young boys, especially back into the mountains and backpacking when I was really quite young. So something that I've always done and, uh, yeah, never stopped doing really. So that's kind of how I got my, my intro into it. And the other thing that really, um, was there was dad would always go off with his friends and he'd leave us all behind and he'd bring us back like a rock <laughs> and tell us these stories about going up into the wind river range and with his buddies and catching trout and falling off logs into the ice water and nearly freezing to death and stuff. So it was like, <laughs> that was part of like, oh, this is when you're a man, this is what you do. You go off into the mountains and you, you nearly die. And <laughs> well, I feel a, a l- <laughs> I feel a little kindred spirit to your dad, you know, being raised as a city boy. And, and once I got my taste of the mountains, I, I haven't left. Right. That's I, I grew up in in Oregon, we've talked about that, but moved, mm-hmm. moved to Alaska and then moved to Wyoming. And I, uh, I pick up rocks to this day, you know, from the, like my trips to the Brooks range and bring them back to my son and be like, here, here's a special rock from the Brooks range. Right. And we look at a map of where that was at. And it's, and I'm always, when you're talking about expanding, you know, territory, I like to learn this drainage. Mm-hmm. And then I'm like, I'm always wondering, Hey, what? And it doesn't matter if you're fishing or hiking or hunting. It's always, well, what's over the next drainage? What's over the next hill? And there's always that, that draw or that pull to say, Hey, let's just go look and see what's over there. Right. And sometimes it's a hellacious, horrible, we're never doing that again. <laughs> Other times you find hidden little lakes or streams that are just loaded with, with goodness. Right. Yeah, absolutely. It, it was funny. I got, uh, I moved to Utah um, some years back and I went, finally made it to the wind river range. It felt like, um, I'd never been, but I made sure I got my dad a rock and sent it to him in the mail. So it was a little one, but I was like, here you go, dad. Uh, <laughs> a little awesome. kudos back to dad. Yeah. Have a rock. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, you know, 
it's been fun just watching you over the years. You've always been the guy who goes up into the wilderness and backpacks and you've got that adventurous spirit. And I remember back in 2010 when you planned this huge trip and I, I told you you were crazy and, and you are, but um, that's beside the point. But, but um, usually Patrick, most of the trips that, you know, I, I think of the ones I've done, the ones that are memorable involve a lot of suffering, right? And, yeah. and, and a, some degree of extremity where you, you might die. That's, that's so, the ones that you're like, Hey, let's do that again. So we were talking about Patrick McManus and some of those stories. Tell, go ahead and relay that from earlier today. Yeah. So I, I'm a big fan of Patrick McManus and, uh, know that Pat is too. And so I asked him like, do you remember, do you remember the, uh, the story of the big trip. And he's like, no, I don't remember that one. So got a hold of it online and made sure that Pat got a chance to read it. But it's the whole concept is that when Pat was a, well, Patrick McManus, not different Pat. Um, <laughs> when he was a kid, he would like escape with this fantasy of doing the big trip. And part of the big trip was that it would need to be really hard. And so a big part of the story is that you, you want to make sure that your hardships happen because if it's an easy trip, it, then it's, then that's not the big trip. You have to, <laughs> if, you if have everything to, went correctly, that, that can't right, be the you big have trip. To, you have to suffer greatly for it to be the big trip. And it's, so it's this whole story about this. this I'm sure Rancid Crabtree was the there somewhere no, along it's, with it's him. It's a right? Rich Sweeney story. Rich. Okay. So for those yeah. of you who are familiar, <laughs> and for Rich. those of you, for those of you who aren't, you need to pick up a fine and pleasant misery and and read some of that. Yeah. There and there's like twelve other uh, Patrick McManuses. If you don't know who he is, I mean, all three of us here are huge fans. So. If you didn't grow up reading him in Outdoor Life, you missed out as a child. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, a fine and pleasant misery is a good place to start, though, because that's a little bit mm. related to what we're talking about, for sure. Just even that book title, it's like, ah, this guy gets it. It's a fine and pleasant misery. You know, you talk about misery, it, it definitely makes things more memorable. But you were telling me about this trip, and you were, you know, very ambitious, in my opinion, saying you were going to go a couple hundred miles in the Swiss Alps. You ended up doing about 240 in the course of 16, 19 days, three of those days you didn't hike, mm -hmm. but just for the listener, put that in perspective, do the math. That's, that's quite a bit every day. And, uh, so Seth, I want you to tell us just, you know, why did you even think of doing something like that? What, what was your motivation? Yeah, well, it was really a combination of a couple of different things. One that was not insignificant as I had a couple of friends who had gone and they, they showed me their pictures and I thought, I have to see that. I just, I have to go and see that. Those are, you know, I grew up in the mountains and loving the mountains. So when you see mountains like that, you say, I, I have to actually get there and see that. Because if that's what the picture looks like, I've got to see that in person. So that was the genesis of it. But when I was graduating from college, my parents said, well, you can either have some money or we'll buy you plane tickets to Switzerland so you can do this hike. And I was like, okay, well, what do I want to see? Do I want to see the, like the Matterhorn or or these this part of the Bernese Alps or what? And I just decided I want to see as much of it as I possibly can in a in a three week period. If I'm gone for three weeks, how much of it can I see? And I settled on that route because I was going to see the place that I'd most been interested in seeing, and I would kind of do a diagonal. If you if you think about Switzerland, it's kind of the shape of a kidney bean, and I just cut across the long axis of that bean from the what is that? The kind of the central eastern border, all the way, to, all the way to Lake Geneva, and so I thought that's the best way to see it. I'm probably only going to get to go once, so that's what I want to do. I want to see all of it. And you know, there's there's gear we can talk about, but just <laughs> you know, just the back to the the fine and pleasant misery. I'm sure there's. You know, I think of the hikes I've done in the backpacking and uh, the, the ones that went well. Yeah, they, I, okay, yeah, let's not talk about those. Now, the ones that didn't go so well, you know, the night that my brother and I slept uh, under an emergency blanket and shared one mountain house between three guys. Now, we killed two rams the next morning and the backpacks got real heavy. But is there any crucible in that story of the where, where was the most miserable part of that trip? Yeah, that's a that's an excellent question because there are some really good <laughs> candidates. Uh, Pat's Pat's heard this story, so he knows um, that I did. <clears throat> I'm not one of those through hikers that knows what they're doing, and I'm not a big. I, at that point, I think this was my second time out of the U.S., barring a couple times up to you know the Canadian part of Glacier Waterton. So I'm not 
not a big international traveler either, like exchanging money, doing all that. Very, very out of my wheelhouse. So really it started off like in the first seven days I was there, there were three days where I didn't get a full meal. Um, and you're hiking up like average elevation gain between four and 5,000 feet on this pass and then a drop like that on the backside. And doing that without calories is is rough. What really, really locked the trip in into kind of epic misery was I injured uh, my left Achilles tendon about 80 miles in. So, so a third of the way in. Yeah, just like, and it was, I, I brought a journal with me, which is great because I also did this solo, which makes everything so much harder um, because all of the mental battles, all that stuff, you don't look over at your buddy and say, man, this is hard. It's like, oh, but we'll make it. It's just you <laughs> <laughs> sitting on a rock somewhere thinking like, what on earth have I done? This is the worst thing ever. So yeah, that, that Achilles, I, I'm glad I have the journal cause I can, I've got this documentation of the different kinds of pain that I had experience with that, everything from kind of what I described as kind of a wet. I don't know else how to say it. It was just like, it was this wet, sticky pain to like someone's jabbing a knife in my ankle kind of pain. And, you know, I had some days, I did a 20 mile day with that. The first, like, you just don't know what you're going to do. And it's like, well, I'll just go a little farther and maybe I'll camp. And by the end of the day, I'd made it to where I was supposed to go. And that was, that was pretty rough, but it didn't go away. So it kind of cumulatively added as you, the ankle issues didn't go away. The blisters didn't go away. I ended up cutting boots. I had equipment issues. So whatever you want to hear about, the whole thing was a crucible is kind of what the point ends up being. I had a day where I was really expecting, like, oh, this is a light day. And then I, I actually did the math because my guidebook had everything in meters. So I actually converted as like, oh, wait a minute. I've got 1,200 feet of climbing and two passes in like 12 miles today. This isn't a light day. It's only 12 <laughs> miles, but it's like <laughs> two passes. Yeah. No, yeah. When man. the ibuprofen starts, stops working rather, um, it just mentally, it was very, very tough. So were you, uh, <laughs> and you're back to that mental battle. I, I think about the first doll sheep hunt I went on and the guy I went with, I mean, we, we, we suffered, right? But mm -hmm. every time it got really, really bad, he'd ask me or I'd ask him, how you liking it now? And the, the, the standard answer was loving it, right? It's like <laughs> no, nothing else to do but love it. So that, that shared camaraderie of the mental battle, like you talk about that piece of when you're solo and you're like 80 miles in and here you are, I've got an injury. There had to been the creeping thought of, do I just bow out? Do I cancel? Do I quit? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Actually, one of the things that was super important for me, because, you know, it's not like being in in a wilderness like the Frank Church in Idaho or something something like that where there's just no way no way through but out there's trains everywhere i mean you could you could pack it in you could quit um, you could hike I, downhill a mile or two or three or five and, and there's and a village a town there and there's yeah. a village and you're done so i mean that made it really different but i ran into this guy from Scotland who was in his 50s um, and I can't remember, I think his name was Andy or something, but I'd catch sight of him periodically in the first third of the trip or so. And I was like, man, if this 50 year old Scottish guy is doing this by himself, I can't, I can't, I can't <laughs> let him show I can't, me up. I can't stop with him doing it. And you know, you meet people along the way as well. Like I met a guy from Bend, Oregon. It was just, so you, you have some of these things where it's like, oh, this is Bend, Oregon, Bob. And <laughs> had a conversation, like met him, like saw him on a couple consecutive days and talked, talked with him. And there's stuff like that. I actually, one of the more interesting experiences, I was at a, a place where I could pay to pitch my tent, which is a weird thing for, you know, anyone from our part of the world. No kidding. <laughs> it's like, I'm paying to do this. Okay, okay, yeah. but that's not uh, yeah, camping. But I mean, that's, yeah, that's exactly, glamping, exactly, right? right? So I met this, uh, this Swiss gal who was doing a bike tour with her dad because she'd just returned from eight months, like six months in the U.S. and more in like Australia or something, uh, cycling with her boyfriend and they had gone all over the place. And she, she asked where I was from and I said Idaho. And she's like, oh, I love Idaho. I'm like, how do you know about Idaho? And so, well, where in Idaho? I'm from Grangeville. Oh, I love Grangeville. I'm like, are you having fun with me here? And like, no one knows where Grangeville is. But the thing that she said that I really, really loved and stuck with me is I was asking her about this, you know, like cycling for eight months seems like a lot to me, even if you love cycling. And she said, well, her and her boyfriend, they just sold all their stuff, like got out of their leases and went and did this thing. And she said, well, there's always good reasons not to do something. <laughs> like, <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah. There's always That's good true. reasons to not do things. So sometimes you just do them anyway. Yeah, exactly. There's so, always easy excuses to get out of it. Yeah, there is. What did your backpack weigh average for this whole trip? I actually significantly upgraded gear later, but I was just, you know, pretty broke. I had a nice pack, but I was probably in the neighborhood of 30 pounds at the beginning. Um, because when you don't have the money to buy the gear to shave ounces, your stuff is heavy. One of the big mistakes I made early on is I thought, well, there's a village every five miles in this place, so I don't have to pack food. <laughs> That, that's not true. You do need to pack food. So I was probably somewhere between, once I wisened up and was carrying a couple days food, I was still probably, I would consider it a fairly light pack. Um, I know the people who actually do through hiking are thinking, what are you talking about? 35 pounds is a ton. But for me, probably about 35 pounds. Well, from the, the hunting realm, I mean, I, I don't even day hike with 35 pounds <laughs> exactly, of gear. I mean, yeah. I'm letting the 40 plus pounds when you're talking glass and ammo and and equipment. Well, yeah, exactly. And I think that's where, that's the perspective that I came from because you go backpacking to go fishing or do these other things or, you know, you, I like spending time in camp. It's not like the people who just want to, you know, have a good time on the trail and then like be really bare bones in camp. So yeah, I'm with you. It, I felt like a light pack. I did get it a little heavier because that was really one of the things that surprised me is you just go to a new place and they don't have the same rules. One of the things I found out the hard way is that all the grocery stores close at 6 p.m. So if you show up at 6.30 because you got lost or like weren't feeling well or something and you're not packing food, you're just not eating that night. It's like, <laughs> oh, well, this was a mistake. This was regrettable. And then the stores aren't open on Sunday either. So what actually the biggest climb of the trip... I, I lost track of the days because when you're by yourself, it doesn't matter. What am I going to do? I'm going to get up. I'm going to hike Till all day. I'm done hiking. And then I'm going to go to sleep and then I'm going to get up. And, and that makes it sound really terrible. But if you see, like, if you look at pictures of the place, you realize that it's kind of this juxtaposition between all of this sounds really miserable, but it really is as magically beautiful a place as you can imagine. So you're looking at it and all the pictures make it look like it was this wonderful, just like bird song and like rainbows and just magical place and then you talk about it and it sounds like it's the most hellacious thing ever and it was kind of a bit of both yeah but i want you to talk about something specific here in regards to the food so getting back to the supermarkets being closed but also tell me about the food how it's different and the issues that you had because the food is so different yeah so first of all the food is marvelous because i you know i'd go to a grocery store once i figured it out i was eating fresh made pastries and, and really excellent cheese and different things like that. But their food is less salty than ours. So if you're hiking 12, 15 miles or more in a day and working really hard, um, what I found is even when I was eating, I had thought I had it figured out, I got a salt deficiency. So, you know, that hyponutremia and you just feel like death just death heated over and realized like, oh, I haven't taken in enough salt. So after that happened the second time, like I was making sure I was buying pretzels and then, you know, all the salt in the bottom of the bag, I was eating that too. <laughs> and so just trying to keep up with the salt output. But that was, yeah, the other thing was just like realizing that I, like I've said a couple times, just realizing that food wasn't available the way I thought it was. Just when you look on the map and see like there's a village there, you think, oh, they'll have a source of food. And not necessarily. So that was those two things really like once I figured that out, it was pretty good. But you had to, the food was really great. You just had to think about things that you didn't normally because usually the kind of food that I eat when I backpack is super salty and your body wants that when you're out. But then you go and you eat something and it's like, oh, this is wonderful. It's great quality, but it doesn't give you what you need. So I, I hadn't expected that at all. Yeah. And I mean, it's brutal. You talk about elevation gain and then you talk about the number of miles, the number of hours. Your body is just completely wrecked. I mean, it, it is because, I mean, it's, it's burning calories at a much higher rate than you can, quite frankly, replace doing the kind of work that you were doing. So what was your kind of daily schedule as far as food intake? And like when you got to camp, what was your routine? Yeah. So one of the things that I thought I would do is I thought I'd be cooking, but as it turned out, I, I didn't really cook at all, hardly on the trip. So I'd get up once I, again, this is more after I'd figured things out, you know, I'd go find a, a market, buy a fistful of pastries, like turnovers and other, just whatever looked good. And I would eat some of that. And then 
I was always finding they had uh, kind of like jerky sticks, but it was their version of it. I'd always pick up a bunch of those at the end of the day, kind of protein. And it sounds like it would be terrible, but it just like it, it hit the spot. And they have a sparkling apple juice kind of replacing some sugars that I drank by the they sold it in a liter and a half thing. And I would have one pretty much every night. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, cause after you've drank you know, like a gallon and a half of just straight water during the day, it's, it's, it's wonderful, clear, fresh, you know, tasting water, but you're ready for something else. So those salty foods, like lots of pretzels, different things. And I would find, I, you know, I don't, the food doesn't really stand out to me except for I'm a huge fan of cheese. And there was just it really is. They do a wonderful job of cheese. And it's funny, I didn't see Swiss cheese anywhere there, but they have all... <laughs> <laughs> How ironic. <laughs> they have all of these different, uh, they call them Alp Kesa. And it's, it was super good. And if you love cheese, and I do, it was just like, oh, pick a different one every day and kind of do that kind of stuff. But you can't eat, you know, especially when you're working hard, you got to you got to mind that you can't just eat blocks of cheese. So, Well, break it down. What's the difference between cheese there and cheese here? It's just different varieties, really. But, you know, one of my favorite memories as I came over this pass in uh, probably the most single spectacular part of the area, the Bernie's Overland, and there was this gal selling cheese next to the trail. And she was just giving away samples and... I stopped and talked and like talked about she liked to go up up on these really high mountains up on the glaciers and stuff and just talk to her and like it was cheese they made right there. So I think that's I think that's one of the key differences is a lot of what you're looking at is someone who actually lives in the Alps made this cheese and they're selling it locally. And you can get that in the States, right? But most of the cheese was that way there. One one of the things that comes to mind when you say that is, you know, occasionally I'll get some fresh albacore. I've got some buddies from Oregon that'll bring some, or we'll get some and we'll can- home can it. You go to the store and you buy bumblebee tuna and you open it up and make a tuna fish sandwich, and it's like, yeah, okay. You take some of that home canned albacore, it's it's ten times better. It's got to be the same with the cheese, right? Here you go buy some cheese that's been put on a ship and trucked over here and refrigerated forever, and it's like, yeah, it's cheese, and it's better than you know the the looser and whatever, but. When it's fresh from the person that made it right there, that's, you know, basically making a living at doing that. Yeah, that reminds me, I did eat a lot of chocolate there too. They were famous for chocolate. <laughs> I ate a lot of chocolate. It was like, so, man, this is cheap. <laughs> did you did you lose a lot of weight on this trip? Yeah, I probably lost about 15 pounds in 19 days. So keep that in mind, folks. He's eating chocolate <laughs> and pastries and all this other stuff, and he is dropping weight. I mean, that just tells you how grueling the the walk, <laughs> the long walk was. Yeah, one of my favorite points of just like a couple fun stories, or maybe just one, if I can remember the other one, um, was I had a day where it was the day that I found out that I'd lost track of the days because they don't, things aren't open on Sunday. I missed the market. And uh, then I, nothing was open the next day. So I had a 6,700 foot climb uh, right out. And it, these hikes, they punch you in the mouth. You, you, know, you camp in this valley and then you immediately climb nonstop for 6,700 feet. And then you go down, you know, Ugh. that far again. That's crazy. And I, I mean, did that with like n- no food. Killer. I was out of food, didn't have anything, start up <laughs> the way. And of course, you know, you have issues when you do that because like salts are all out of balance and I just felt terrible. Like no surprise. And I'm sitting there, <laughs> I'm sitting there on this rock about a hundred feet below the, the pass, just thinking like, I think I'm going to die. And I remembered that I had a salt pack some seasoning in my pack. So I'm rooting around in that. And I had a little sugar packet and I eat that and like start to feel slightly better. And I'm walking up the trail and someone had lost this apricot on the, like a dried apricot on the trail. And I looked at it like score. Like a little squirrel running up the trails, stealing peanuts. Didn't even think about it. Like popped it right in. You were starving, man. I mean, your body was in freak out mode. Oh, totally was. And, and my guidebook didn't mention the fact that that, that trail dropped over 7,000 feet on the back end. It just said a punishing descent, I think, is the words he used, but didn't actually. <laughs> I did the math later. It's like, I feel like he could have said more about that. <laughs> punishing as in 7,000 foot descent. Yeah, it's like 7,200 feet or something. It was ridiculous. That's the elevation of Laramie, so from sea level. That's insane. I mean, most of my elk hunts, we're... we're 
any any of my big hunts are, are not even half of this, right? I mean, we're talking, you might go from six to 10 on a, on a good day and then go back and you might go three miles out and three miles back, maybe five miles. So I might do a 10 mile day and do plus and minus 6,000 feet. You're doing plus or minus 14,000 feet and 20 miles. I mean, that's just, and I get, at least me, I get to the point where I can't eat, right? I'm just, you're, you're not hungry. You're, you're so exhausted. It's give me some water and give me some sleep. It's food is not primary for the first few days, but then you get into a point where you're talking about where it's like, I could eat everything. I could eat the whole cow right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. And, you know, and we all know as outdoorsmen, but if anyone hasn't done something where they've bushwhacked a lot, you know, it's different because people always say, how many miles did you cover? Well, it's the wrong question. It's not how many miles, it's which miles, right? So, I mean, you are on trail and the Swiss have remarkable trails. So it does save energy that you're not worrying about like, okay, even mentally, like you're not wondering like, should I go left or right here? Am I going to bluff out that kind of thing, you know, that you do when you're like hunting and and that sort of thing. When you're hunting and you're on the pack trail, I mean, you can run three miles up the river in 20 minutes. You get off trail and you can maybe go half a mile in an hour and a half because you're going over blowdowns and trying to pick your it's mm-hmm. it is a little different but. yeah so i mean that being said it, it is a it is a lot of energy expenditure to do that i think one of the other one of the other things that i remember really distinctly about the trip was there was a day i'm hiking into a in a place like i'm a sherlock holmes fan so if any if anyone is familiar with Sherlock Holmes, there's a there's a famous story. It's the one where Arthur Conan Doyle killed Sherlock Holmes. It takes place in Switzerland, and I was going to be passing through the village. So I'm a massive nerd. I was really excited about this, and I can remember <laughs> like because one of the things I didn't one of the mistakes I made is I didn't live in my boots before I went on this trip, and so boots that I had worn a lot, had done a lot of backpacking in they were killing my feet. And so I had major blister issues pretty much the entire trip and had kind of, that was part of my morning routine. You ask about morning routine, like blister care. That was the first thing in the morning, like um, trying to keep things clean, trying to keep it from getting worse. But blister care was something that I had to do every day. And so I'm hiking and just by the end of the day, you just, you just hurt. It's like you're getting spanked on the bottom of your feet with like a flaming hot board. And you're going around and then you'd catch a view. You'd come over a pass or something and you'd see the valley open up below you. And it'd just catch your breath and it would make the pain go away. That's the important thing to remember this whole trip is yeah. probably every time you turn every which way, there's another vista that's, that's photo worthy. Gobstopping. Just you look at it and you think like if that waterfall was back home, there would be people, there'd be an overlook here. There'd be people queued up taking pictures of it. And here, I'm the only one here. It's me and some dairy cows. <laughs> and that's why I liked elk hunt is I get to go see some of the vistas here in, in the winds or some of the other places that there is no trail to, right? Yeah. I get to find even little wallows and little bubbling creeks. And, you know, yeah, the, the all the lakes have a major trail to them and, and trailheads or whatever, but you know, I, I I like the fact, at least for me, elk hunting, I'm going to climb the same vista that you're going to, mm-hmm. but then I'm going to get up there and get my binoculars out and figure out, hey, how are the animals utilizing this? And and I'm the other cool part is, is being the hunters. I'm there morning and night. I get to see sunrise and sunset every day, right? Right, right. So, but through the through all this pain, through all this misery, it's it's important to, to mark that these vistas, these views. I mean, our 360, 24-7, it's not just like, oh, we're going to hike, we're going to take one picture of the Tetons, and then we're going to get in a car and drive away. No, it's... No, you're in it. You're living in it, and that's one of the things you pick up this rhythm. But the reason I was bringing up this particular getting into that's and I, you know, for anyone who actually speaks German, I apologize. Uh, my pronunciation is appalling, but <laughs> <laughs> this town uh, is Meringen. And I was dropping into it and just in a lot of pain. And I remember the shock when I got, finally got into camp. This is, this take, is the town where Sherlock Holmes Yeah, was, yeah, was the Reichenbach okay. Fall. Um, so I got down there and they had a little museum there. It was just, it was a, a happy place for nerds, which was really fun. It was a, it was a little surprising how much that was so. But when I got to, uh, got to camp and you know that feeling of taking your boots off after a really brutal day, the foot that had hurt, my left foot just hurt and hurt and hurt. And when I took off my boots, my, and I apologize, this is a little gross, but it's part of the story. So maybe you're here for that. (laughs) (laughs) But I take off my right 
boot and it's just blood all the way through the sock. And I looked and my right pinky toe had a blister that had wrapped all the way around it, the entire toe, and then burst and blood through the sock. And I was like, oh, it was my other foot that was hurting. At that point, you know that your feet are hash because the, the foot that's got a blister that wraps an entire toe and is bleeding through the sock is not the foot you're worried about. So it's kind of, kind of this weird combination of those vistas and... It's back to that fine yeah. and pleasant misery. Fine and pleasant misery, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I remember when you got back, just talking to you about this trip and just thinking to myself, why in the world did you do that to yourself? <laughs> but, you know, the people that don't know Seth, I mean, he's always been kind of one to be up for the challenge and up for the pain. So talk about that a little bit about the mental aspect of processing the pain and enduring through that because i'm sure you had some really rough times getting through especially at that point your feet are shot yeah so i think part of it is at some point you realize that really the best way to be to be done is to get through it and so we were re we were rereading that mcmanus story and they were in that story, they're talking about evaluating their options, and they, they say, like, the only way to do it is to just toughen up and do it. And there's a reality to that at some level, is that you just go. But I think part of it was tied into the, one of the things that was anchoring for me is the reason I was doing the trip in the first place. Like, yes, I wanted to see, I wanted to see the Alps. But there was also a, at a significant part of life, right, just finished college, going into what's next, that I wanted to push the envelope, see where the edges were, like what am I capable of, right? So that's part of the idea of the big trip is you find out what am I made of, right? And most people, like, like I mean, in perspective with this, you had your injury at, at mile 80 and you're doing 250, right? Yeah, and, and we're not talking or whatever it was. Yeah, we're not talking flat miles, you know, not, not here to Laramie walking down the highway. But, you know, I've read and heard several times that most people quit at about 40% of their capability, you know, and that's, that's where your injury was. You could have just said, yeah, okay, I've came, I've, I've seen. <laughs> and in scouts as a kid, we did a 50 miler and I had a 55 pound backpack on it yeah. at 15. And here this guy's hiking the Pacific Crest Trail with an 18 pound backpack and doing the whole thing in the summer. Now he'd gone ahead and mailed himself food to each town here, Seth, you mm -hmm. catching on with, yeah. I mean, he had a little food package, but he, I mean, here I am with a tent and a sleeping bag and, and, you know, I had food for every day plus fire starter plus a fishing pole. And this guy had a jacket and a pair of shorts and he's like, yeah, I've got a, a little blanket that I lit. No, no sleeping packages. I just lay down on a blanket and I have a small little tarp if it's going to rain. 18 pounds is light for a... Oh, man. Mm -hmm. That's that's too light for me. I need more gear. Well, <laughs> but yeah, I, me too. Me too. I mean, my light pack was, as we talked about, over 30. So, um, but you know, what you were talking, what you were asking about, Pat, is like when you have a reason that's bigger than just like, I'm out for a walk, that helps anchor you when it gets tough. And for me too... Part of that had to do with, I was also out there, you know, there's part of it that's just purely like, I, what am I made of, you know, physically? What what am I capable of? I want to push, I want to push it and do something bigger than I've ever done and do something incredible. But for me also, it, it, there was a tie-in with faith too. I'm, I'm a follower of Jesus and that that point of the, it's a significant crossroads part of my life. And in figuring out what I'm made of, it also had to do with time I was spending with God intentionally. And that was part of... I would have loved to have taken a friend with me, but it's hard to talk someone into like, do you have 23 days where you just want to walk? <laughs> um, anyone up for that? It's hard. I, I, to I would find have gone it. with you. Sir. It's hard to find anyone. So the fact that I was doing it by myself, I thought like, I want to make the most of this time. And so a lot of those conversations that I had with God also really made, played into that because sometimes when you're under pressure, right, what's really inside of you bubbles to the surface. And I found a lot of the stuff wasn't really all that great. <laughs> <laughs> I remember just like biting my walking stick on one day, like literally biting my walking stick and just like, had all these like really dark kind of like as you know just the response to pain and frustration and the things that were in my mind well, yeah, exhaustion too exhaustion it was just it was one of those things where then i had a really good conversation with god about like oh what kind of person am i really inside because this hardship is bringing that to the surface and this is what this is really who i am is what's when you squeeze me what comes out and so that was also a big part of pushing through 
that uh and then there's there's another aspect too like part of it just comes down to when you do something hard for the first time you think like oh i can't do this but then you do it again whether it's packing out an elk or or and like i've seen this with friends who have kids and whatnot they think the first kid's gonna kill them right and then they 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 keep on waking up in the morning and they keep on doing it and you just find out like oh this may not be my favorite but i can i can do this so and my so, grandfather has a an emerson quote that has been instilled in me since I was two. And it's a, that which you persist in doing becomes easier to do. Not that the nature of the thing has changed, but your ability to do is increased, you know? So going through and pushing through these mental, physical, emotional barriers, like you said, most people hit that barrier at about their 40% capability and go, okay, that's, that's my true, that's my max. That's my hundred percent. And you know, if you don't push those limits and those barriers, you never, you never open up into that other 60% of your capability. Yeah, absolutely. I I took another ill-advised. I've done a number of these. Um, I took a. <laughs> I, I'm seeing a, a pattern, pattern here. Patterns. Yeah. Sequences of events. Um, I took a friend on another one in Utah, and that was one of the things he really said afterwards. He had just graduated from college. He was engaged, about to get married, and or thinking about getting engaged at the time, actually. And I invited him to do a traverse of the Uinta Range in Utah. And apparently I undersold the difficulty or something, which I try not to do, but you know, it happens. And I just remember looking at him most of the way through the trip. And he looks like one of those mountaineer people, like just skin peeling from his forehead and lips and just, <laughs> just worked. <laughs> poor, poor wretch Sweeney. Looked, looked, looked just about dead. And I remember we're like, we got done with this trip. And he said, like, I didn't think I could do something like that. Like, well, yeah, you can. Mm-hmm. Um, he's, I don't think he's ever done anything like that again. And that's fine. But, but he, he, went, he, he went into the rest of his life knowing, like, I can do something that hard. And I can push through something like that. And that's, that's really a great thing for all of life, really. And for, for me, you know, you're, you're, you're reminiscent of, you know, you, you talk about squeeze me and see what comes out. And you know, you can take me to a church building and yeah, I'm I'm there and I can try and try and commune. But when I'm out in the wilderness, when it's peacefully quiet, I mean, that's for me as, as much of a reason to go chase elk as the protein as it is just to, to sit on that ridge and watch the sun come up and, and get that reflection meditative, you know, communication time of who am I? What am I doing? Why am I here? Right. Mm Mm-hmm. I have a question for you kind of along the same lines, but I don't think, you know, you look at a hundred years ago, there were a lot of young men that had experiences where they did stuff that was really difficult. And I don't think we have that much anymore, not to the same degree. You know, David and I've talked about this before on fishing trips and Seth and I've talked about how things have just changed so much. I'm, I'm curious for you, do you think that, you know, our, our society maybe desperately needs more things like that to, to push the envelope and squeeze some people and see what they're made of, especially young men? Yeah, I mean, making statements about all of society is kind of fraught with peril to a degree, but I, I think it's pretty undeniable that we have the capability to avoid hard things um, here in a way that very few people in history, I mean, like we don't have to plow our field uh, or starve. So, I mean, there, there is that dynamic and I've, I've had the privilege of working with, with young people, both uh, college students and high school students. I helped run a wilderness camp for a number of years and we had guys coming from Florida and different things and very few of them probably ever picked up, you know, wanting to backpack a lot, but having that experience of, of hard things. Yeah. It's like, there's, there's a connection to character that I think is really vital. I don't, my favorite way to do it is in the outdoors. I think there are other ways you can accomplish some of those same ends, right? But mm-hmm. the mountains or deserts too, for that matter, you know, just the outside going to a place where you strip away the conveniences of life and a lot of the distractions too, quite frankly, and you just get down to things that are very basic and very real and gritty and and sweat and muscle aches and those kinds of things. Yeah, I do think it's an important component and certainly for men and, you know, for, for women too. But I think that desire, you know, that was implanted in, well, me and you, I know by, by our dads. And it sounds like you too, David, is something that, yeah, I I do think that's an important part of character and it's easy to, you know, it's easy to be 
a good person when everything is going well. It's very different when it's sleeting and you've rolled out from underneath your tarp tent or whatever, and you learn a lot in your life. With a wet sleeping bag or you uh, tried to dry your coat by the fire and it fell in and you know, I'll grab a coat. Yeah, these are all experiences that, you know, if you just play video games or, you know, watch movies, you don't get. And I, I was thinking about, you know, when I come home from an elk hunt, I'm just astonished by, I go to the sink and lift a handle and water comes out. I don't have to pump this stuff. I don't you don't have, have, to, have to boil it. You don't have to. I mean, well, it's crazy. You know, I'm actually thinking of, uh, and I can't remember if you were on this trip, Pat, but Pat and I did a number of these trips with my dad when we were, you know, what, second to fourth grade, I think was when most of them happened. But there mm. was also seeing examples of someone who does well under pressure is such a big deal because when you, you guys talk a lot about recruiting new people and this is the rare podcast where you're uh, hunting, fishing, and this is the everything else, everything in between uh, kind of podcast. There was a night where, you know, we were in Wyoming, uh, it, you know, as it does, it starts sleeting and dad didn't have any money for gear. So he's taken all us first through sixth grade boys out into who knows where, somewhere he had never been probably. Kudos to dad, by the way, because yeah. that was not an easy <laughs> task of, hey, let's take no, a couple no. of kids out the woods. No, so he's got like a dozen of us, mostly not his kids, <laughs> um, <laughs> which makes it, diff makes it different, right? And we just had tarps. And so we'd set up tarp shelters. And one of these little boys rolled out from underneath his tarp and got soaked in the sleet freezing cold so my dad like he wakes you know he wakes up probably crying you know no no shame in that when you're a little guy and you're, <laughs> you're a little frozen. guy you're outside you're frozen and you're, and yeah. you're freezing to death right and uh dad got him like dad gave up his sleeping bag got him back underneath the shelter and dad spent the night freezing on one side and burning to a crisp on the other with the campfire and doing that that shuffle around the campfire kind of like spooning the campfire <laughs> and seeing that example of someone who takes something that you could call a hardship probably safely right no one's gonna say like no that sounds like it was that was fun and and handling it well and putting someone else in front of themselves and living out you know, like okay you say that you you have these values these principles and this faith but when you see that in someone else, it's not even the, it's sometimes it's not even the experience of you having that, right? It's seeing someone else and seeing that example. I think that's another element. You say, is this important? Is this important for young people, young men? Yeah, that is. Sure. Seeing someone who mentors them in that and does it well, that's super important. Absolutely. And I think the outdoors is one of the best teachers, you know, when you're because like you said, it puts you in situations that are very uncomfortable at times and you have to cope with it. And you also have to cope with the thoughts that come into your head, positive and negative, right? Of, you know, I can't do this. I can do this. This is miserable. I'm freezing. You know, um, I think back to when we were in college and we took that trip up into the snowies with your family and we got snowed on in the middle of the night and had to light a fire to, that was not easy to light for one. And for two, we had to keep it going all night to stay warm because it was brutal. But those kind of experiences teach you quite a bit, I think. Yeah, absolutely. I remember that. It was uh, also, you were newly married, as I remember at that point, and trying to navigate, like, oh, I'm out here with friends and, you know, basically family. You know, we're having a good time trying to do this thing and plans are changing and also trying to remember, it's like, ah, I've made promises to love this other person well. And so that might mean <laughs> us not hitting all 20 lakes we've planned today. Because that was that mm. particular thing. I had looked at the map and said, like, hey, we can catch a fish out of 20 lakes in one day. That would be awesome. And we had to punt on it. And like conditions weren't conducive. And mm. we pulled the plug and got out of there. It was an interesting trip, to say the least. <laughs> but it was fun. There, there definitely is a time when it's time to pull the plug, right? And, you know, it's, it's not all the time, but there's, and it, it makes it, I, I think about the, the doll sheep that's hanging there on the wall and the night we slept in the cave and woke up in our water bladders were frozen and we'd, we'd shared the one mountain house for dinner for three of us, right? So I think we had a Snickers bar and a bag of beef jerky and some trail mix to share for breakfast. And then it was like 12 hours back to camp, right? Brutal. And it's frozen. And I fire the jet boil up and it says, you know, do not melt snow and ice. I'm like, I don't care. I'm going to have water and everything's frozen. Burn the fins off the bottom of it. That was enough to just, you know, mentally, if you had some weak people go bag it, throw their hands in the air and walk away. It was like, well, no. Okay. Well, we'll just, we'll use this water. And we'll, we had to start putting it inside our jackets to thaw out our, our bladders and, and get the water. But 
you know, my point was having those hardships, but then being able to have the camaraderie to, to move forward and having somebody else that can mentally maybe be a little bit of a crutch for you to lean on and say, no, we'll, we'll, we'll get through this together and then you can move forward. Yeah, absolutely. And just, and that is the difference. One of the major differences about doing stuff solo versus doing it with, with a friend. I mean, you get, you get to share the memories instead of talking about, Oh, this cool thing I did, this, this cool thing that we did. And that's such a, that's a richer experience and from, in my estimation, but there's also, yeah, you definitely do get to, and to say a crutch is like, well, no, you're, you are much stronger with two people. Although sometimes that responsibility, if you're, if you're introducing someone new, you can't really rely on them to do that for you. In that case, like, especially when you're introducing someone, you actually have, I've experienced that maybe you guys have too, where you actually have to be mentally stronger than you are solo because you've got someone else you don't want to freak out or they are freaking out and you got to be like, okay, I know you just chopped into your foot with a hatchet, but we're going to, we're going to get out of here. We're going to be okay. And in in your head, you're going like, ah, do you remember that kid that cut his hand open on that one trip with your dad? No, you remind me. So we had a kid, he was whittling on a piece of wood and he cut his thumb. I mean, it was deep. Uh, it was pretty nasty. Um, and I think your dad had told him not to be whittling like that, but anyway, probably. So anyway, this kid cuts his hands super deep and your dad went and got the first aid kit and got him mended up. But he told him, he's like, we're not going home. I got to pause you to my dad's first aid kit. That it sounds like something. My dad's first aid kit was ibuprofen and gauze. Yeah, it was gauze. And I think duct tape. (laughs) Something like that. <laughs> so it's like gets the first aid kit is uh, a roll is of duct slight, tape, slightly misleading. <laughs> roll of duct tape like and that. a roll of toilet paper. I, We're I, good. Yeah, I don't remember which kid it was, but I remember he cut his thumb, and uh, your dad took good care of him, but. <laughs> You know, I think some of those trips were, you know, some of the most fun things doing as uh, as a kid. And, you know, I look at us now, the three of us, I mean, we, we all have our different things that we love to go do and uh, our niche, I guess you could say, in a lot of ways. But it all kind of hinges around the outdoors and friendships and relationships, which are important. Mm-hmm. And so, like, I think about you coming down here, you know, we're doing some fishing, which is kind of more my thing, but just hanging out and visiting, which is a big deal. And I think, you know, doing a lot of these expedition style things, if you have someone to go with, you can have some really meaningful conversations and work through some of the stuff that gets squeezed out of you as you go down through all that. Yeah. And I I do think there's a place and I've listened to some of the episodes where you guys have talked about some of the advances in technology, where if you do go... Obviously, if you do go solo, it's important to let people, I mean, you guys would probably bring this up if I didn't, you know, you let people know what your itinerary is and where you're going. But even some of the advances of, in technology, as far as if you, if you feel like you need to have the capability to say, hey, come get me, there's been some really cool advances in that sort of thing. But I think there is still space for, I really, really love, it's the, it's the main thing I do is go out with people who you care about your friends, or even someone you just want to know better. Go into the mountains, you'll know them better. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I think there is still space for that, for that experience of, you know, experiencing how creepy the woods are when you're by yourself. It's, it is night and day different, which is a weird way of saying that now that I think about it, but it's like, (laughs) it is not the same thing. The woods are not the same when you're by yourself as when you're with three or four other people. Even if you've got that fire lit, they're, the woods are more creepy than you would ever believe when you're by yourself. And it's good to experience that and just work through that or just like sit on a rock and be, you know, be forced to be alone with yourself for a while. It's, I think there's still space for that. And if it, someone hasn't th- tried it, like you can do it better than I did the Swiss trip for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, like I would, I wouldn't recommend like pack prepackaging all of that hardship, but it's really worth experiencing uh, you just want to be smart about it. And we're not talking about experiencing the outdoors like the KOA or with your <laughs> generator or with your car five feet away and you put a put a sleeping bag on the ground. We're talking, you know, I, I don't care if it's a, an Alps trip or a Brook Range trip or a Wind River trip. We're talking where you've walked far enough away from the car that it's when you wake up in the middle of the night, either scared or alone or wet, or there's a misery, you don't just go, oh, I'm going to hop in the car and go home and, and end this. It, it's mm-hmm. like, well, am I going to take eight hours and hike back out? Or am I going to, like like you said, the only way through is to, to suffer and keep going, right? Yeah, to toughen up and go. Yeah, I was thinking about this most recent trip that I took. I spent a lot of time in the mornings just going down by the lake and just sit on a rock and just 
take it all in, you know, it, there's something special about that. And I, I think that it's not lost on any of us on this podcast, <laughs> right. why that's important. But, uh, I want to talk, you know, towards the end here to wrap up, but I want to ask you a couple other things about your trip. So how long did it take for your feet to not become, you know, to basically heal from being hamburger? The, the blisters were the first thing to heal up and that just, you know, all I had to do was get rid of those boots and not wear, I wore flip-flops for probably a month afterward. The worst thing was that overuse injury in that Achilles. And that, I think I, one of the cool things about that trip is it was fall trip. So I think I got done near, I think September 23rd is when I actually was flying home. And it was November before I could wear hiking boots again. So what brand of boots were they? <laughs> Do we want to say that? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, they were... I have weird feet. I, that's that's the big disclaimer in this whole thing. They were a solo boots, and up till that trip, they'd been my favorite boots I'd ever had. Um, and so what boots are you running now? I've got Kenetrex now. Okay. And so when you got home, you know, coming back to, you know, your your every day and, and coming back, what what were your big takeaways from doing that trip? What did you learn? Yeah, I I really do think some of that's really fairly hard to put into words because there's just a part of it was a sense of satisfaction to have done something like that. And I took my journal entries and the photographs. I t I'm, I'm a fairly enthusiastic photographer and it was a great place to go. So I had hundreds and hundreds of like really spectacular pictures or rather the pictures maybe weren't that spectacular, but the things I took pictures of were putting that together and kind of just memorializing that, that trip and reflecting on it's really cool and satisfying to do something that big. That was, that was one of the things. And just to know, I've mentioned like knowing where your limit is. Well, after that trip, I knew it was a little further than that. Right. Didn't find like, if you actually find if, where if I survived that, <laughs> I, I can, I can do 1% more. That's, that's right. Yeah. The goal is to know, like to get an idea, but if you actually find out where the breaking point was, then that's probably a bad thing. That, but that I, I knew I, exactly. <laughs> we call that a kill a hiker in my family. He went a kill a hiker. So I think that was a big part of it. I think just going into life with a little extra bulking up on some mental toughness, it was really a, a huge takeaway because it's like, okay, I'm, when I face hard things, you have something, even if it's a really different kind of challenge, you still have access to that mental toughness you've logged away. So that was a big thing. And just the conversations with, I still think about some of those days where it's like, oh man, what's inside of me when I'm stressed, when I'm, when I'm hurting or whatever, kind of that I look back and think about those times. So it's kind of a waypoint or... For people who love hiking, it's kind of a Karen, yeah. you know, it's a, it's a marker. Yep. That makes sense. I mean, it's always good to reflect on what you've done and see what lessons can be learned from it. Another thing that we need to talk about because it's a big deal and all of our families is, uh, and this is changing gears big time, but we ask everybody this question, what's your favorite protein or meal that you procure from the wilderness and how do you cook it and prepare it? Mm. You knew this was coming. I mean, you had yeah, to have known. I did. And it's, it's a <laughs> difficult, difficult question to answer. Right. So one thing that I have to say that I might put in a little bit differently than the majority is for me, it's really great to have the proteins important. What else you have with the protein? I really enjoy it. If I, I love to mushroom pick. So if I can have that protein with morels or in the fall chanterelles or bolites um that really adds a lot we have a a cranberry bog strangely randomly in the in idaho that i won't tell you where I, like you'd have to come with me i'll show you where it is <laughs> but another fine and pleasant a, misery we, we have a cranberry bog that you know when you make make something and you're you've got those extra things so i really enjoy when there's another aspect of foraging in but I got a chance to, to get a moose a few years back and it just, it doesn't get any better in my mind than, than that. I love the, the taste, but there's, there are so many different good ways to do it. Like I've, I've really gotten more into using whole roasts and doing, doing like whole muscle package roast. I've been getting into a little bit of charcuterie, like doing pastrami and stuff like that. And it's like, yeah, doing a, doing like 
morning breakfast, fresh pastrami with some eggs and stuff. That's really hard to beat, especially if you've got some mushrooms to go with it. And since we're on the topic of food, we got to talk about high mountain seasonings. And we actually had some, what was that yesterday? It was, yeah. Yeah. So we had some trout that, that Seth had filleted out and wanted to pan fry. And so we had the Western style trout seasoning made by high mountain on there. And that was delicious, wasn't it? Well, the true story, because they, they're not... They're not sponsoring me. I said I need to. I need to get some of this. I usually don't like trout. I'm I'm a catch and release fisherman with trout generally because I don't. I think they're leg, legless lizards. Um, but <laughs> that uh that really did after we had that. I was like Pat, I need to get. I need to take some of that home with me because um, it. Yeah, I endorse it. <laughs> yeah. So it is that time of season too. I mean, everybody's out either catching fish, shooting elk, antelope, deer. Uh, if if you haven't tried high mountain seasonings, you need to go check them out or himtnjerky.com and uh, get those checked out. I'm sure, David, you're going to be making up some stuff here pretty quick. Well, we have a we have backstrap and I like to take and uh, I pre-season the backstrap before I vacuum seal it. So that way when Ooh. you thaw it out, it's already... You know, cause it, I throw it in the, in the fridge about a day before we're going to cook it, let it just naturally thaw out in the fridge and it's already seasoned. And, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to upgrade to a, a smoker, not, not a smoker smoker, but a smoking barbecue. I think I'm going to get the green mountain, but I'm looking at the triggers too. And that, I, the way I've talked about, it, we've talked about it several times, slice that almost all the way through in half stuff some cream cheese and some jalapenos in there it's already got oh, high man. mountain on the outside wrap it with some bacon and some toothpicks cook it till the cream cheese bubbles out of the middle of this meat log slice it thin you gotta stop, stop. It's, it's good seth is sold man you should see his face i think that's some drool forming on the side of your mouth there uh, but high mountain is so good i mean they yes. have so many different options it's important yeah. And then we also have to talk about our other sponsors. So talk about Bow Spider, where we're at right now, kind of wrapping up, most mainly wrapping up archery. September's done. It's it's done too soon for sure. But, you know, uh, Bow Spider is obviously my company. Uh, started it because I missed a, a bull elk of a lifetime by strapping my bow to my backpack. So we spent a couple of years. Patrick hopped on board and helped a little bit. And we've got this product that really solves a problem of what do you do with your bow in between harvesting animals and it's it's been a it's been a fun ride it's been a fun journey i'm very fortunate that i get to hunt for a job now it, it it's not as uh, as pleasurable as it might sound right it's it, it'd be kind of like being a, a a hiking wilderness guide for a job you know the the first trek's great but the the 10th trek up the same trail with somebody that forgot their boots or sleeping bag and you're you're giving it up is is, is a little bit frustrating but yeah so check that out bowspider.com we got lots of new stuff coming we got swag and you know ho- holidays are coming so if you uh, need a gift for that bow hunter in your life bow spider is a, a pretty good option yep and then last but not least pk lures they do a great job helping sponsor this podcast as well great people i was going to mention if you guys haven't listened to uh katie carey's episode you know about the bass fishing tournament what was really cool is after that episode published is that some of our sponsors and uh friends got involved and you know whether it was friends that were reaching out to to their friends and their circle to help give fishing advice for that particular body of water or pk sponsoring with lures or high mountain sponsoring you know it's just really cool to see that and uh it's exciting to see that people were willing to jump on board and help her out. So, um, but PK lures there, this is, you know, PK season. If you're a spoon jigging person fishing for walleyes, trout, it's a really good option. You can go with PK spoon, PK flutterfish, and then of course the spinach jigs, one of my favorites. Um, so if you haven't checked them out, go to pklure.com and you can get some of those and take them out there and see what happens. I mean, this is, this is prime time. This is when the fish really put it on. So get out there and get them caught while you can. But Seth, it's, it's been awesome having you on the podcast. I know you've been a faithful listener, so I appreciate that. And, uh, of course it's just great to, to share and, and hear your story. Yeah, this has been a lot of fun for me. I can tick off being on a podcast as well, like off the bucket <laughs> list though. Like, Hey, yeah, I've done that. <laughs> yeah. You can share it with your family and friends, but, um, you know, Seth, Seth's a great guy. I've been a great friend for a long time. So it's so, so fun to have him on the podcast. That's for sure. Well, we want to have you back, Seth, and we'll, we'll discuss some more e- epic adventures, some more fine and pleasant miseries. 
Yeah, I was gonna maybe talk about some uh, backcountry hunts or something. I got to do a mountain goat hunt with a buddy of mine. Talk about that or other adventures. Or elk hunting with a muzzleloader and some of the fun with that, right? I don't, I don't want to talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> I knew that was coming. I, I had to throw that in there just to see what you would say. That's, you know you're good friends by the ones who uh, like prod the painful places. <laughs> That's my job, man. Well, I'll, I'll, years. I'll give you a, a little bit. I, I haven't had blisters until this year, and I've got the same pair of Scarpas that I bought in 13 to go on that same doll sheep hunt. Same pair, right? But this year it was so dang hot. I mean, we're talking 80 degrees in the afternoon, and I've got wool socks on with my boots and gaiters. And so I got a few, not true blisters, but like heat blisters on the bottom of my feet. But if anybody's listening out there, I'm endorsing Scarpa very well. The the Wrangle GTXs are 350 bucks and I have more miles on those boots than the average person will put. If they make a wide enough one, I'll have to look at that. <laughs> Gotta fit the feet, right? All right, guys. Well, we're going to wrap up this episode of Radcast Outdoors again. You can find us on the socials. Check out Rat, at Radcast Outdoors podcast and make sure to share, download, and subscribe. <laughs>